Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Luke's Gospel, the third chapter, verses 15 through 17, 21 through 22. Hear with me now the words of the Lord. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat in his granary. But the chafe he will burn with unquenchable fire. And now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had also been baptized and was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the bodily form of a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my son, the beloved with whom I am pleased. My brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord, may your spirit fill us this day. As we hear your word read and proclaimed, may your spirit fill us with its meaning, with its depth. And in doing so, transform us so that we would leave this place, this hour together, not as mere hearers of your word, but as doers of your word. In your precious name we pray, amen. So on this Sunday, we celebrate the baptism of the Lord. It is another continuation of our liturgical calendar. We remember that John the Baptist was called to pave the way for Jesus, to prepare the way of the Lord. He baptized people with water, casting out their sins, and people began to think that he was the Messiah. And he put a stop to that. He says, oh, hold on. I am merely a servant. But there is one that is coming that's much greater that will not only baptize you with water, but with the Spirit, with fire. Now we know in reading in Matthew's gospel that Jesus, when he had that encounter with John, John bowed down before him and said, oh no, Lord, you should baptize me. But Jesus argued with him, commanded John to baptize him. And as he did, as he came out of the water, just as it records in the text today, The Holy Spirit descended like a dove upon Jesus. This is my son with whom I am pleased. Jesus was baptized by water and the Spirit. And that has great significance for us, this idea of water and the Spirit. Later in Jesus' ministry, he commanded the disciples to go into all the world, baptizing people in his name, making them disciples. So as we have this talk of baptism, there are images that just come to mind for me. What is this image some years ago when I was uh, working with a group of executive pastors and we would meet once a year in each other's churches and sort of compare notes and look at things. There was one church where they had recently converted an old Methodist church that was dying. 
And they had converted this into a new rebirth of this church. Completely retooled and everything. And they were really excited about things. And they showed us this thing in the basement. It was a portable baptismal pool. Now, I didn't know that such a thing existed. So, you, you know, you have to think about this for a minute. A portable baptismal pool, they decided that they wanted, when, when they did baptisms, that they didn't want to do just a font and dip water and pour it over someone or sprinkle it on them. They wanted to immerse people. Now, those of you that are Southern Baptists are like, well, yeah, that's the way it's supposed to be done. But we Methodists, we believe that you can sprinkle, pour, or dunk. It doesn't matter as long as there's water. But they got this, they've got this portable font. Think about it like a small, in, a small above ground pool. And they had it right in the front of the sanctuary. And as they started to fill it, a member of their church team was a structural engineer. And he could listen to the floors creaking as the water was filling up. He says, stop. Unless you want your first baptism to start in the sanctuary and finish in the basement. Stop. So needless to say, they now do baptism when they do it. If they don't put the font outside or the, the pool outside, they do it in the basement. There's that image. There's the image that a friend of mine sent me that was in the military of a baptism right in the middle of the war zone where the chaplains had dug out this huge pit in the middle of the desert, had lined it with plastic and filled it with water and were baptizing soldiers who had decided to give their lives to Christ in the midst of all that was going on. Or a church where I did my field ed work in seminary, where there was a youth in the church that he didn't want to be baptized with just having water poured over his head or sprinkled him. He wanted to be taken under the water. And so they went out to the lake and invited the whole congregation out to their house on a Sunday afternoon. And the hillside was full of people as the minister waded down into the lake and baptized this boy. I think of my own daughter's baptisms where we were surrounded by people who loved us, baptized in water that was brought from the Jordan River by my parents. And we were there, and as I looked out, realized that this is the community that has supported us in marriage, in childbearing, in the community that will support us in raising these children. And just some few weeks ago, a baptism right here in our sanctuary, where the grandfather remembered being baptized here in the same font as was his grandchild. Powerful images of baptism and what it means to us, these snapshots that we pull together. But what's it really all about? You know, in the Methodist Church, we have two sacraments. We have baptism and Holy Communion. This idea, it's an act of worship communicated to us by God, commanded by the Lord. It's more than a photo op. It's more than a milestone or a box to check. I mean, it's a rite or a ritual, if you will, that's been ordained by God in which divine grace is imparted to us. I mean, think about it when we take communion. We're given a piece of bread and a little bit of juice. And as we take it, we are given the body and blood of Christ shed for us as individuals. When we baptize someone, water and the Spirit, it's a powerful act of faith. But what really matters is what happens with a person who's baptized. The gift that they receive from water and the Spirit, they get three things out of it, really. And that's really the powerful part of it for me. Is the first part is a washing away of their sins. 
The second part is incorporation, adoption into the family of God. They become a part of us. And third, a commissioning for ministry as a part of the priesthood of all believers. That's why baptism matters. That's why it's so important. That's why it's more than just a photo op. It's those three things. It is, it is a washing away of sins. It is an adoption in the family. It is a commissioning for ministry. I think about when we pray over the liturgy and baptism as we're praying over the water, asking God to bless it. We were like, Lord, bless the water that it may wash away the sins of the baptized and clothe us in righteousness all the days of our lives. The power of that idea that that water could wash away sins. Reminds me of a song by Randy Travis, you know, the country music star who he's had some of a troubled life, but when he really focuses on it, he writes these beautiful songs that have this deep theological meaning. He writes one entitled Pray for the Fish. Now, now bear with me on this, but here's how it starts out. Apparently it's about this guy, Eddie Levon, who must be just an absolute miscreant in town. So the song starts out like this. Everybody gathered where the river runs wider at the edge of town to see if the Eddie Levon baptism was really gonna go down. Folks bet hard-earned money that the water wouldn't change a thing. They set the odds at 100 to 1 his soul would never come clean. Then the preacher said, people take a moment or two, there's something that we need to do. Pray for the fish. They won't know what's coming when the sin starts rolling off the likes of him. Lord be with them, they ain't nothing to do. Please won't you leave them just a little bit of room to swim. Pray for the fish. Now the next stanza, what happens is the preacher dunks him under in the cold water and he did it again and Eddie comes up yelling, hallelujah, I'm a brand new man. And the song continues about praying for the fish, but that's the whole point. And that very moment in time, people didn't think that this was even possible, that Eddie Levon would come to the water, much less that it would do him any good. And apparently because of the depth of his life, that there was so much going to wash off and they were worried that the fish couldn't swim. And yet he comes out of the water, I'm a brand new man, hallelujah. See, our baptism has that power to give us new birth, to be born again. It means that we are no longer slavery to sin and death, that we have a new life in Christ. That's why those vows that we take are so important or the ones that are taken on our behalf until we can claim that confirmation, they are so important. This idea of professing our faith, but it's the renunciation of sin that really digs into it. I mean, we ask the candidate, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? In other words, are we willing to make a change? But do we accept the freedom and power that God gives us to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? That means not only are we willing to make a change, but are we going to do our best to make that happen, to make that a reality? And then there's that most important question. Do we confess Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and trust his grace to serve God in union with the church? Do we say to the world that the Lord, that Christ is now the Lord of my life? And if we do, that means that we really want to be completely different than we've ever done. 
And then by the grace of God, will we serve as a faithful member of the church and serve as Christ's representative in the church around, in the world around us. See, when we make those vows, we're saying that we are living a changed life, that we want to be reborn as a new people, that we want to be the people that God created us to be, the people that God needs us to be in the world. And so it's at that moment we really begin to realize when we look at those questions and what's really happening, it truly is more than just a photo op. It is life-altering baptism. And yet it's even more than that. A few years back, as I was baptizing an adult, he had tears in his eyes as we went through the vows and as I poured the water over his head had tears in his eyes and the emotion of having his sins walked, washed away. Yes, but there was this moment after that, as we were leaving the baptismal part of the service, as the music was playing, he says, I belong here. That's what the tears were about, as he had a family in which he belonged to. It wasn't just a rebirth, but now there was an adoption. There were people around him that said, you are a part of us. You are our brother and our sister. And it meant it in the depth of those words. And we hear that phrase all the time, blood is thicker than water. Well, what that really means is that, you know, if you pick in families, you all know this if you have families, that people can, you can pick on your brother, your sister, you cannot like them. But boy, if someone outside the family picks on them, it's time to go to war. Well, friends, that's what this is about. When someone is grafted into our family, they are now our brother and sister in faith. It means that we're going to stand behind them. We are going to support them. We're going to go to war in our prayers. We're going to go to war in our help. We're going to lift them up. We're going to support them. It's an act of faith by our community. This is why it's not something that we just do in private in someone's backyard. We do it here because it takes all of us. We are the family of God, and so we want to be all together. It's why that young boy that wanted to be baptized in the lake invited the whole congregation, and they showed up. Because it's an act of the community. It's a corporate act. We can't say in our vows that we will serve the church in union, we'll serve God in union with the church if we don't have the church present with us. But it's in our baptismal vows, in our baptismal ritual, that the congregation also gets a voice. They also get to speak. So after we baptize the, with the candidate, what do we say as a congregation? Now it's our joy to welcome our new sister and brother. And what we're saying to the world is we're announcing to the world that we have this person, that God has claimed them, and they are a part of our family. And so through baptism, we are incorporated into that royal priesthood. We belong together, as that young man realized so many years ago. But just as we're cleansed of the sin, just as we realize that we're grafted into family, we also realize that we are commissioned to ministry, to go into the world as servants of the Most High, that the Holy Spirit leads us. And we think about it in our liturgy, we say, we say that we're going to participate in the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, that God may be glorified. I mean, think about that. We recommit ourselves in the liturgy, not just as the baptized person saying that, but we as the family, we say we are so glad that you're a part of us, that we're going to faithfully serve together by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service. We reaffirm our own participation. I mean, this is the time of year that we make resolutions. We make those lists. I mean, we're nine days, Brad said, we're nine days in. We're really at the end of the first week. 
how many of you made a list? How many of you are still batting a thousand on that? You know, I'm going to eat healthier. Uh, I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to read every day. How many of us are doing 100% on that? But what would it look like if we took our baptismal vows and we lived into those, truly lived them? To our commitment to serve the church through our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. I mean, if we really lived into them, we would never be on the hunt for Sunday school teachers or small group leaders or youth volunteers or ushers. And by the way, I understand that we need a few. So if you're interested and willing to usher, now's your chance. See me after church. Shoot me an email. But we would be able to do that if we lived into it. We wouldn't have stewardship issues because guess what? This is just what we would do is we would give generously and with great gratitude for what God has provided us. That we have more money to figure out what to do with and to make a change in the world around us. That we would have trouble finding seats on Sunday mornings. That we would have people falling all over themselves to come to worship with us. That we could mention you ought to come to church. And we would be like, Absolutely that we would find all of our lives radically changed because we let the Holy Spirit work through us. Because this is what happens when we let the water and the Spirit fill our souls and come out our hands and our feet. Friends, I've taken vows three times in my life. On April the 4th in 1982, I took a vow at my baptism. On June the 11th of 1994, I took vows of ordination. On August the 12th in 1995, I took my wedding vows. I'm able to fulfill those marriage and ordination vows because of the power in those baptismal vows. I'm able to live that out because of the support of a church that lifted me up and cared for me when I was young and showed me the way. See, my baptism changed my life just as it's changed ours if we just open ourselves up to the reality of the Holy Spirit. That which John was talking about in the wilderness, that which the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus and told the world about. As a minister, often I hear this phrase, you know, I was baptized so long ago, I don't remember it. Would you baptize me again? See, here's the tricky thing about baptism. The answer, short answer is no, I won't. And here's why. Because see, baptism is God's gift given to us, and we can't give it back. It's like an indelible mark. I mean, you take your hand, you take a sharpie mark in your right hand, you can rub that off. You can't rub your baptism off. When the water is poured over you and your sins are washed away, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you are grafted on the family of God, you can't get out of it. When we're inducted into the royal priesthood, we can run from that calling, but it's always going to be there when we turn around. It never fades. Our baptism never fades. It is who we are, marked by God as God's children. But you may not remember yours, and that's okay. We can be reminded of it in just a few minutes. After we return our gifts of thanks and praise for what God has given us this week, we are going to stand together and we are going to remember our baptism and be thankful. Because these are the vows. This is the gift that drives our life going forward. In the name of the Father and the Son 
and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.